0: This is Under the Low Bridge, an unconventional history of the Erie Canal. In honor of the 200th anniversary of its construction, the History Department at the University of Rochester presents six environmental stories. And you're listening to Here You Are. Low Bridge, everybody down. Low Bridge, for we come and do it down. And you'll always know your neighbor, you'll always know your pal, if you ever navigate it on the Erie Canal.
1: Episode 5, Barging Through Conflict. This is Mihir Khan.
0: And I'm Sophia McRae. Wow, Mihir, this view is really amazing. We're sitting up here on an old guard gate above the Erie Canal, right outside the University of Rochester. This is basically a 30-foot wall of iron and wood hovering just above the surface of the canal. There are a series of cobblestone and cement pedestrian bridges in the distance, and I have to say, this view makes me feel like I'm stepping out of a painting.
1: It sure is peaceful sitting here, Sophia. The view from the top of this gate has to be one of the best views in Rochester, as in front of us is the crossing of the winding Genesee River and the cherished Erie Canal, as well as the picturesque hills and forestry of Genesee Valley Park.
0: As rustic as this park seems in my eyes, I can't shake off the unnatural feeling the Erie Canal brings. The canal breathed life and commerce into Rochester during its Rust Belt routes, And I can still feel that commercial influence through the sounds of the interstate highway next to us, and the active Rochester airport just half a mile ahead. The clashing sounds and sights seem to represent a battle between nature and man.
1: Interesting that you bring that up. Because this spot was the source of a huge conflict just over a hundred years ago. One more tangible than the one you described.
0: No way! This spot? What do you mean?
1: You see, Back in the turn of the 20th century, the state engineers of New York had a problem. They were losing money on the much-heralded Erie Canal due to the competitive rise of the railroads. But what
0: does that have to do with the Genesee Valley Park?
1: Well, there's the dilemma. The existing route of the canal through the heart of downtown Rochester was too small to accommodate the larger ships that could better compete with railroads. So the engineers proposed several new routes for an updated Erie Canal.
0: So they chose straight through the park?
1: Exactly. This new route, which was later called the Barge Canal, was the most efficient route for the engineers to avoid construction issues like 90-degree turns and elevation changes.
0: Well, that couldn't have been easy to swallow for park visitors, but I still don't understand the big problem.
1: Well, you see, there were several actors with different visions for this land. The Genesee Valley Park was opened to the public in 1891, and just within the first decade of operation, the Parks Commission of Rochester was already at odds with the Olmsted firm over how land usage had progressed.
0: As in, Frederick Law Olmsted? He was the guy behind Central Park in New York, right? Inspired by his travels in the English countryside, his royal park designs and urban settings channeled pastoral landscapes.
1: Absolutely. Not only did he design GVP in 1888, but he was also hired for Seneca Park and Highland Park in Rochester as well.
0: Okay, so it sounds like Rochester was also in the midst of parkomania, like many other industrial cities around the US and Europe, which was the conversion of public lands and urban areas to green spaces. I know before such spaces were established, people spent their leisure time walking in places like
1: cemeteries. Right, so in 1891, all that was here was the river and different elevations of land. Otherwise, a lot of what we see in front of us had yet to exist. In fact, Olmsted and his right-hand man, C.C. Laney, scoped out the entire GVP landscape, planting thousands of trees to cover up railroad tracks. And they even introduced a flock of sheep, white-tailed deer, an American elk, and a bear-tailed park.
0: Wow, sounds wild. Rural park design by Olmsted was widely seen as an antidote to modernity. It was a civilizing force of bourgeoisie values and a place of recreation and leisure, a space where people of all classes could stroll and revel in nature.
1: That's exactly how GVP started, as the original plans for the park contained a compromise. Olmsted got to preserve the land's beauty, whereas the Parks Department got the recreational haven they sought for the area with a few small facilities. But in the first decade after the park's completion, the Parks Commission placed an increased emphasis on recreation, as further developments in the park led to facilities like ball grounds, an ice skating rink, a boathouse, and by 1901, Fifteen holes of golf that spanned almost three miles of the park. Special deals were even made for a merry-go-round and a refreshment stand.
0: Sounds more like carnival grounds than a rural fantasy of Olmsted's creation. But
1: honestly, people must have really loved it. Exactly. People did, but Olmsted didn't. Further adding to the conflict, the city made special deals with the railroad, allowing new tracks to be cut through Olmsted's carefully planned forests, which allowed people to pour in in thousands.
0: So, there's Olmsted and the Parks Commission butting heads over the use of the park, and state engineers and the railroads of New York struggling to place the new barge canal. So, what happened? In
1: 1903, the same year that the plans for the barge canal were officially announced, GVP was hit by a flood that damaged the park's roads and bike trails, ruining the merry-go-round and washing away soil and cinders. GVP was in a floodplain, but this was the worst it had experienced since the park's creation.
0: So the park commission thought that adding another waterway was the last thing they needed, right? That's
1: right. On the other hand, the Olmsted firm thought the canal would ruin the aesthetic beauty of the park's rustic charm.
0: So given where we are, I'm assuming the canal won? Well, actually,
1: in a way, everyone won. After many nasty negotiations between these people, this ended up being the final part of the entire Barge Canal system to be constructed. As part of the agreement, the engineers built a dam where the canal intersected the river, which actually helped alleviate the Genesee River's flooding. And with engineers building artistic bridges across the canal and river throughout the park, the Olmsted firm begrudgingly made what they said was the best out of a bad situation. To put the cherry on top, engineers agreed to take out many of the rail lines that covered GVP to accommodate the canal.
0: Well, considering where we are today, are you sure everyone won? The Erie Canal definitely isn't used for its original purpose anymore, and sitting on a massive iron wall with the highway blaring right next to us, I don't feel Olmsted's original rustic dream for the city. At this point, the entire dispute seems trivial, not only over the intended design and land use, but it also speaks to the fundamental differences in the way that all these actors perceived and interacted with nature. This space now just serves as a physical timeline of the last 200 years of transportation and infrastructure change. It has a less peaceful history than we'd like, but those are the layers of history that have been written and rewritten over this land. Each layer just represents the different ways humans have tried to manipulate nature for their own benefit
1: throughout the years. This episode was made possible by the generous support of several departments at the University of Rochester. The Here You Are team would like to thank Melissa Mead and the Department of Rare Books and Special Collections, Blair Tinker and the Digital Scholarship Lab, Stephen Ressner at the Department of Audio and Music Engineering, and last but not least, the Department of History.
0: Oh, bridge, everybody